Rant ended. This is my solution. Here is the category campaign for beer. And welcome to episode 436 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 28th September 2023. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Brews News, and we've got the band back together. Ian Watson, welcome uh, back for another week. And Sabrina Kunz, welcome back after a bit of a holiday. Hi, guys. Hi. It was fun hearing other people on the podcast, but um, it's fun to have the band back together again. <laughs> I, I was sort of away and I was listening to it and I've sort of become quite, I don't know how to say this without sounding sort of patronising, but like I always feel, even when I do things like, now for the IBA, I'm like my little Australian beer community. Like I feel quite sort of like protective yeah. and sort of part of this little community. And so I was away. It was like I don't get to talk to the people. And I realise it's a one-way talk, I talk. But it feels like I'm having a chat with everyone <laughs> and I sort of missed it. Well, it was this time last year that I was having, you know, a, a week off before I went to uh, Drink Tech and, you know, listening to the two or three episodes that were recorded in my absence, I had the same thing. I, I love listening to it, you know, because... <laughs> the thing I love most about the podcast is we're effectively having the same con- like, you know we, we, we've had a chat before the microphone even started we realized we probably should do some recording and the conversation that we're recording that people are getting to listen to is basically the conversation that we would be having if we we're having a beer um, and talking about things in the same way which is God, 13 years ago when we started this thing, um, what we were hoping to do, hoping to have conversations about the news that reflected the conversations that we were having off mic um, to try and, you know, educate and illustrate uh, a little bit about the industry. So, uh, you know, thanks for joining. Well, um, happy birthday, Matt. Did did we tell all the listeners that last week was your birthday? So Matt and I actually had a, a beer on Friday and literally for his birthday we spent three hours discussing the beer industry <laughs> um, because we went down many, many a rabbit hole, many of which uh, listeners have probably heard on this very podcast. Um, but from the Australian brewing community to you, Matt, happy 55th? Four. Don't age. Like, 54? Yeah, I'm, That's all right. On the night I said, oh, well, I'm 40-something. And he's like, you just turned 40-something. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, you're, you're aging so yourself. It's okay to age I'm me. I'm aging by everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I kept the birthday well fairly quiet. Yeah, I know Facebook you did. I, I heard it, it last week on the podcast. I was like, he missed out telling everybody it was I'm his not birthday. I'm not going to tell everybody. It's not about me. Anyway, as ever, it, it's a very dynamic time in the industry. I've spent so many hours on the phone. So whilst there's not a lot of news out and about there's a lot of stuff going on in the background um you know uh that we could probably reflect on a little bit um but one story that sort of landed yeah i, I got a phone call uh from steph at our filter um and then we're going look you know i've got to let you know we're about to uh, launch a crowdfund i know your views about it um you know do you want to have a chat and i went yeah of course i do um but uh, Filter, um, since then, has launched a crowdfund to stay Aussie-owned. Sydney's Filter Brewing has opened expressions of interest for an equity crowdfund to raise capital to expand the business, pitching the campaign as a call to arms for Australians who seek variety and local economic support through their beer choices. By rallying around Filter Brewing, consumers can actively safeguard Australia's rich beer legacy and support the thriving independent beer culture, the company said in a media release announcing the raise. Speaking to Brews News ahead of the launch, co-founder Steph Constantoulis said an equity crowdfund wasn't a decision that the company had taken lightly, but was necessary to fund growth as a in a cash flow heavy business model. Um, yeah, look, go read the whole article. There was a, a little bit more. Both they expanded a little bit more on the... Um, you know, we're defending ourselves from big beer. This is a uh, pitch against big corporate brewers um, in their media release. Then uh, I, I talked a little bit about, um, but uh, and I, I, look, I, I'm pretty sure I speak for everybody that in talking about equity crowdfunding and even this raise, we love filter brewing. You know, Great, you know, it's been our brewery of the week. Um, it's a multi, multi award winning brewery, current champion New South Wales brewery. Um, you know, I think it's one of the nicest tap rooms. They're making fantastic beer. Nothing that, you know, we talk about 
you know, again, hopefully we can, you know, speak as adults without anyone um, feeling that we're damning anybody. Given and, and I just say that given some of the comments that have been posted on social media that aren't entirely supportive of the uh, crowdfunding. But uh, over to you guys. What do you think of the um, of the raise? Well, we don't know too much detail really yet, do we, as to the... <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, always a problem. Which, which is uh, the way that crowdfunding works in this, this country, but no good on them. It's a genuine way. There is issues and problems around equity crowdfunding or, or the way some of us perceive them, but it is a genuine way to raise funds um, and good on them. I hope they, they reach their target. I'm a fan of Filter. I love their... love their be- haven't been to the taproom, love their beers, and I, I love their... 1980s style branding as someone born in the 70s um but um yeah let's let's see what happens when they release the the details of it i'll uh, be very interested to see the valuation of the company and what their intentions and plans are to do with the fundings that they receive and we'll see how they roll it out from there look i think it we couldn't talk about this uh, having a genuine conversation without talking about the current economic environment um, and so, you know, again, to Matt's point, Filter One champion New South Wales Brewery at the IBA. And I think actually in our podcast the day after, we sort of said, you know, that's a credit to the staying power of a business that's been in business for this long. Um, they ha- they've campaigned pretty hard last year for the first time. Um, they did some pothole advertising as part of the Hottest 100. So they've sort of been in the game for a while. That is the backdrop of a of of you know, part of the raise, but I don't think we could talk about it. You know, they talk about beer being a cash flow heavy industry and this economic climate, it's a tough climate to be doing a raise in um, at a time when we're seeing, um, it, and as an aside, I met a, a guy who was a small business lender for ANZ in the pool in Vietnam and we were talking about the beer industry and he said five years ago he would have um, lent you know, it was pretty much as long as there was a business plan, no question to hospitality mm. or small brewing, and now um, they're not lending at all. So, you know, lending is really strict. So, um, and that was a general general chat. So I guess what I'm getting at is it's really hard to get working capital or cash flow at the moment from other sources um, but that is reflective of the economic environment we're in, which will also potentially make it harder to raise than ever before when consumers just don't have that extra, um, you know, disposable income. So, you know, we want it to go well, but I think it's a tough market to be raising in. This and, and so much um, on that, you know, on one hand, for such a outwardly successful brewery in, in terms of you know award-winning high quality beers great venue strong brand all of those things that you look for in a business um you know the fact that they're going down this route you know it is and you know you're making assumptions about why but it it, it speaks about the industry challenges yeah. but also you know and i i asked in fact, Steph volunteered um, when, when I, I think back to it, and he said, "Well, we could give over thirty to forty percent of our business to you know people with deep pockets, or you know, sort of looking at, um, but you know, they want too big a slice of the company." Which, I mean, I, I, I don't know that you can take that any other way than saying, you know, f- because they they want to raise a set amount of money. You know, I think it's between one and three million they want to raise. When was the figure that he gave? Um, but the the founders don't want to give over you know thirty to forty percent of their business because then they lose control of the business, and to me that speaks that you know they want to raise money without giving fair value for that money. I would read it differently. I mean, um, private equity. Uh, God, sometimes I go on tangents in my mind when I do this podcast. But Matt, in the last few, so you know how there was the crash of Silicon Valley Bank? Yes. So this really was off the back of a lot of venture capitalists coming into businesses and then overstepping. It's a long bow, but but there's a a through line here, I swear. But a lot of the small um, VCs 
wanted to then essentially take over these businesses that they were investing in. So they would want a slice as large as you're talking about and then would actually try and change it, right? 100%. So, so, no, no. I, 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 sorry, yeah. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, so, so, but that is a, a bit of a different point than I was making because absolutely, if you do give away 30 to 40% of your business to somebody who wants to return, you know, who's, who's, who the outcome they want is different from you want as a business. But of course, the only reason they're taking 30 to 40% of the business is that if you say, I need this much money, and they say, well, this is how much of the business we want for that money, which is they're looking at a certain valuation of the business, equity crowdfunding. And, you know, again, I, I, this is where it gets hard because you, you, you can't sound anything, you, know, you, you don't want to sound negative, but to raise one to $3 million without giving away a substantial part of your business means to put valuations on a business that probably aren't sustainable in any, you know, aren't, aren't achievable in any other, through any other mechanism. Possibly, alternatively, it could be the point that says, you know, um, private investors want a quick return. We've got a 10-year game plan. We want to get through the next economic downturn. We don't want to be focused on, um, and, and I know there's a whole, part behind this, but we don't want to be focused on monthly profits. We want to be focused on long-term growth. Um, and, and so I can sort of see that as a as a possible argument. Yep, I do I 100% think, agree. And so I think that's a reason. I would also say um, the one risk that I can foresee in this is, and I don't know if this is, if it's real, which is so I'd pose it as a question, but is there any brand risk if you don't even come close to your minimum raise. Well, I was going to move on to that um, oh, as okay. another part right. of it because yeah, just sort of looking, but just on the valuation piece, I agree. You know, if you are saying, well, this is a long-term investment, this is, and, and all of the things support the industry, you know, that, that, that they're talking about. But when in a market where, um, you know, the, the breweries that have sold for, for, you know, valuations anywhere nearing what are asked for in equity crowdfunding, are the very rapidly going ones, the nationally growing brands. Um, you know, Jetty Road at the moment, Mighty Craft is trying to sell Jetty Road, which is a strong venue. It's got a, you know, distribute, it's got similar volumes, I'd imagine, $3 million, and they're struggling to close on that. Um, how big does a brand need to get before it gets 10 times that valuation? You know, Gage Roads. Um, you know, you, every day you can see the value. It's a hundred million dollar revenue business with a number of national, you know, huge um, venues. It's only valued at what you know some equity crowdfunding businesses um, value themselves at. It would be very interesting to see what a business valuer would. Well, place I can tell you, <laughs> I've spoken to a number, so but you know. No, I think uh, Sabrina's point there about if the raise doesn't go to plan what that does to the perceived value of the business is the biggest risk because it is a, it's diff, very different now to the start of last year. Very different now. Mm. 100%. And, and that's you know, one of the things that my inbox has been, for, you know, you, there's comments on the stories, but my inbox, you know, has been about, you know, what terrible timing. Um, and again, you know, if this doesn't raise money, doesn't raise the, 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 the hope for money, you know, what does that do to the business? And I, I actually asked Steph about that, and he was fairly confident that you know even if they didn't get their two and a half, three million dollar figure that I think that they're going for, they they'd be okay. But you know, the only other thing I was going to say about it, again, as an industry level thing, is it is you know, as we've said, a, a great brand, wonderful business, um, you know, all of the good things. My question is, given the time at the moment and we've seen a number of businesses that have expanded and we've seen a number like i've seen a lot of prospectuses um for other businesses that are looking for private equity and <laughs> actually on that some of the valuations on you know these are just as ambitious as uh, equity crowdfunding and some of the claims that they're making and this is one of the disadvantages that you have as a business like filter doing a raise it is so public 
you can't hide. Whereas a lot of the brands that are raising money in the background can do it. You know, there, there's industry whispers about it, but by and large, it's not saying so they don't necessarily have that brand um, damage. But when you have a business that is outwardly so strong, um, in a lovely venue, in a good part of the, the, the world, what is the imperative that is driving the need for growth? The, 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 the need to take, you know, it's a huge risk of going out and getting this money in order to, to grow. What, what does that say about the industry? Is it a strong local brew pub brand isn't a model, you know, one, a, a business at that size isn't a viable model and that you need to grow because I can't help but think if that is the truth, the industry needs to have a very serious conversation because that's the, that, that's the spot that there is so much industry conversation about this is the future of brewing is brands exactly like this coming in and there are people planning, you know, well, I'm not going to be a national distributor, but I am going to be a, a business on on that level. You know, what, what do you guys think about that? Do we need to have a hard chat about what is a sustainable business size? It could be the case too. You've got to look at, as uh, we talked about in one of the podcasts just recently, about the sizing of your business and about the sizing of your facilities uh, and what that facility needs to be able to do in order to be a profitable business and whether the size of that facility in terms of production, uh, for size of that facility in terms of its hospitality operations, uh, what it, what each of those two and do they actually align with each other and then do they align with your ambitions? And you could have the position where uh, I've looked at a business that was for sale a couple of years ago uh, and the size of their production facility was far too large for the size of their hospitality operation, but the size of their actual uh, building uh, their footprint wasn't large enough to run a production system of the size that they had. So everything there was completely wrong for that business. They couldn't get enough turnover of bodies through, and they would have had to turn over, by my maths, their facility 2.7 times every night to be able to be a sustainable business. Now, that's a lot of turnover, really, to have every night of the year. Um, well, actually, sorry, in their in their peak nights. Uh, so you have to look at how that balance. The balance there would be okay. Well, this place needs to be a more wholesale. However, they couldn't have wholesaled because they couldn't have warehoused the incoming goods and the finished goods in order to turn those over what they needed in a week in order to be a sustainable wholesale business. So the size of your your plant, the size of your warehousing facilities for inwards and outwards, and then the size of your hospitality facilities all have to align with each other in order to be a profitable business. And then there again, then there is the ambitions of the owners, the operators, and whether they align with each of those other things as well. And without knowing filters in and outs, particularly without knowing their future intentions and ambitions, I, I could not say from the outside. Ian, it's really interesting. I spoke to an accountant at BrewCon who works for a number of um, craft brewing businesses and he was literally saying for one of his clients they were doing the analysis around should the fermenter come out so that a kitchen can go in. And it was looking at that floor plan saying we're not, you know, the your mix of income how you've got it structured, the space, all of this design now, everything is under the microscope to make sure that you've got the balance right. And it was essentially that, right? You're producing too much beer, but you haven't got enough of a hospitality offering. So, you know, I think for me, I, I, like many of the people who posted on the Facebook, I was a little bit sceptical around what funding growth really means versus funding survival. And I mean that sort of with the kindest way possible because cash flow is is a real problem right now, which, you And know, incidentally, that speculation you invite using the equity crowdfunding model, which is open the expressions of interest, drum up business where no one's got any, you know, for, for the equity raise, where no one's got any financials to look at and there is only speculation, um, you know, you're inviting that level of speculation. I don't like doing it, but when you don't have the financials, but you're expected to be 
promoting, you know, because effectively they want promotion for the equity crowdfund without anyone scrutinizing the business. Yeah, which is I problematic. Mean, that that's a that's an equity crowd crowdfunding yes, sort of yes. you know ad nauseum we've we've been in that. But I I think it is. I guess I again coming back to where is the industry at, and the reason I raise the accountant, the reason that Ian's point is so salient is that I can't imagine. I was just doing some um, data work uh, for the IBA, um, looking at um, actually using some Bruce Use data. And, you know, of the businesses in the last 12 months that have hired, 15 of the roles have been accounting, 15 accounting roles across, you know, that's that's quite a sizable um, investment by our industry in terms of making sure they've got some financial expertise in small businesses. And so, again, I just come back to that's another data point everybody's looking in detail at their business right now. And mm. if they're not, they're not going to make it. And clearly Filter have done some analysis that says this is why we need to do this right now. Um, you know, um, but everybody, every business, be it supplier or brewery or news, are all doing every economic analysis about how to stay in business, right, in this environment. That's really the main news of the week from uh, the the pages of Brews News. As I said, it's a quiet time. I'm, I'm expecting a lot more news coming out. There's lots of new beers, uh, but of course, with 650 breweries each releasing, you know, on in some occasions, new beers uh, a week. We the pod, podcast is long enough without covering all of those sorts of things, and then there's a whole lot of uh, stuff that is effectively promotion. But you know, that is the news you need. There are a couple of things I'm working on. Um, that unfortunately good journalism takes time and research. Uh, so uh, there will be stories uh, coming out. But um, before we move to some of the other things that have caught our attention this week, I just wanted to, you know, it, you know it, 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 it's fair to say that, you know, brand is important. Brand in hand is important. And the guys at Rallings, you know, know that beer can labels are regarded as the new mini billboard of the uh, brewing industry. They say a lot as an adver- ad- advertisement you can hold in your hand. The label is a genuine conversation starter. The label is also providing a new voice to the designers uh, who, are with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips. They think it's just brilliant at rallings and they would like to help you to get your specs right uh, or your bottles, cans, and other packaging looking the best at all times. And you can give the guys at Rallings Label Stickers a packaging a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can make your brand sing. Matt, can I use that as a segue into something that wasn't in the show notes, but something that I just sure. remembered you and I talked about last week that I want to talk about? Sure. Which is um, Rider Light Beer. Um, this is the Electrolyte beer offering from Gage Roads. So um, I had met some sales reps um, who ha- from Gage Roads who'd sort of said, you know, this was coming and we kind of knew this was on the horizon. But it popped up in my sort of social feed around about the same time as this e-beer um, that you can also go and have a look like, also an Electrolyte beer. But Ryder... Uh, light. Um, I sent it to Matt and I just sort of said, I have such a clear vision of the target market for this beer. And this is why it's a packaging related because the way that they've designed their packaging, the, the, the promotional sort of structure around it, this link into music, I was like, I know who their demographic is. And it's not a demographic, even the visuals, the layout, it, it seems like a new one. And, and so I sort of, in my mind, if you ever go and look at the uh, Rider Light imagery, I still I went straight to like athleisure. So sort of youngish 20-somethings athleisure, that is the sort of ideal client for, for this beer, customer for this beer. And so to me, Matt and I had an exchange about it because I was like, I sort of really feel pulled in two directions. Maybe they're targeting a new customer market that we really need to tap into, bringing people to beer, the product altogether. But then promotion of beer as a health product kind of goes against everything that we believe in that's good for the industry in the long term. And so it was just this sort of, um, I just encourage everybody to go look at it and, and make their own views about it. But it was definitely one where Matt and I sort of went round and around on what do we think? Again, it's it's like anything. It's it's one of those 
things that the, the industry does need to change and evolve and reflect. Um, and, and this segues nicely into the, the the one that I did have on the show notes, which is the Han uh, that was yeah. something that was in the Radio Brews News Facebook yeah. group, um, where you've got two women doing a high impact, you know, high intensity gym workout, um, and, and the, the the undercurrent is that they're burning off what they've consumed for the beer because they exercise for one second forty four and then high five themselves and you know the tagline is you know you, you you've essentially burned off the one gram of carb beer that that you've had um, and and this is great now on one hand really awesome that brewers uh, are identifying female drinkers as a target market um, and all of those you know all of those elements that is broadening the footprint, but doing it in a way that essentially pollutes the rest of the beer market by pandering to perceptions that beer makes you fat. That the, saying that the reason people don't drink beer is because beer makes you fat, and then simply by taking the carbs out of a beer is the salvation to that. Because on the other side, you've got the same breweries often taking alcohol out and, you know, putting carbs in to meet the body and, and the flavor. And, and if there is a misperception in the marketplace that carbs is a problem in beer, deal with that perception. Don't strip, don't, you know, as a marketer, sit there and launch a campaign that basically confirms the worst the, 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 the worst elements of your entire product line just to give a little bit of a boost to one because we know from research that this does harm the whole industry. And, you know, I call, you know, it's, and particularly when the, 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 the marketer, if they get their sales bump, they'll get a promotion and they'll probably be selling RTDs next year because they don't give a shit about the industry. They will, you know, they, they actually don't care, but Lion as a business should be. And, and incidentally, Han, uh, and, 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 you know, that is true of Gage Roads. Like, if you are going to market electrolytes in beer, um, you know, and Todd Sampson on the Gruen Transfer had a really good talk about these things where it's unverifiable um, claims about wellness or, you know, enhancement or something like that, which is bullshit. If you're doing that, you know, you, you're actually harming the integrity of the broader category just to get a bit of a sales bump um you know if if you because it's got alcohol in you know if it's got electrolytes you still can't drive after it you still can't exercise after it or any of these things and you're just pandering to the worst perceptions of your product yeah absolutely um we don't need to make any health claims for beer. Beer may have some health benefits that may be outweighed by other things, but it's not a health drink. Um, let's not go down that path for our industry. Let's market and let people know what beer is, as is what it is for what it is, uh, not not try to do something that uh, does not have any benefit to the industry as a whole in doing in doing that um, in, yeah. The wine industry doesn't take that path, and we don't have to be the wine industry. We're not the wine industry, but the wine industry does not go that path. Let's not go that path. Yeah, the wine industry doesn't go that path because they pretend they don't sell goon bags. I mean, they pretend that's a whole separate thing. They just sort of, that's underground. They're, they're not the um, mummy wine culture largest increasing demographic of over alcohol use. They're not on the front pages of the paper with Guna Fortune. They are prestigious and all of this crap. Anyway, it just, but I, like my thing on it is I, I am really torn uh, about it because I can see the systemic challenges uh, and in particular the challenges of protecting the current market of beer from increasing over-regulation, particularly in the health space. And I specifically- Well, that is well, because you're inviting scrutiny. Because funnily enough, the Beer the Beautiful Truth campaign that Lion ran to try and counter the negative perceptions that it helped create, um, you know, because they had to talk about sugar because they'd already shit-canned carbs- um, and the way that they were so hamstrung in the way that they ran that campaign in a way that didn't actually hurt some of these brands that they'd invested in, um, 
they invited the Scrutiny Affair, who labelled it a health campaign for beer. Um, and because they're so bad at this, you know, w- there is an absolute embargo on talking about um, any health benefits of beer, um, even though ISIS would argue that in a lot of cases there is a mental health benefit from the socialisation that beer brings. So, so, so I, I struggle with this because I think that the overregulation from health advocates, um, these examples, Han and Rider Light and e-beer and anything that comes into this nootropic stuff, um, is inviting further scrutiny and further overregulation that is very unlikely to be come back from come back from right so regulation isn't going to be increased and then pulled away it's only going to get more certainly in you know when we're talking over a couple of decades Um, and so that makes me nervous the flip side is all of the things you cited Matt around um, targeting new drinkers targeting different drinkers making a beer offering regardless it's still beer um, and and there will be a debate about that Um, but uh, you know, I still think there's positive in that. So I th- I am, and on a, on a product by product basis, you can see how this meets a need in the current market and how the marketing supports that need. But on a rolled up, what does this mean for the category and the longevity of the category? That's where it gets difficult. And of course, you know, unless you're, you're taking a 30, 40 year view of the game, um, you might be and, making and look, different you know, decisions. We, we can get right? into the fundamental problems of capitalism um, when we're That's talking right. about. But you know, surely as a company whose greatest investment is in brewing, having a you know medium-term view of the marketplace is to, to your advantage. And I've just called up. Okay, so Han Superdry, which is the one that's got me worked up. These were <laughs> really? the three launch posters for the brand. So in 2008, when it was launched, so 15 years ago, um, when they decided that low-carb beer was a thing, um, the first one, this is one that they ran in, uh, and actually I think these posters were run on um, the screens inside gyms as well as on, uh, you know, roadside posters. First one, girls hate your guts. Telling you that beer is going to give you a beer gut. Um, the second one, and I don't know if you'll remember the the, the, the campaign. It was uh, the lead ballerina for the Australian Ballet um, was walking along a beach, draws a love heart on the beach, and the boyfriend comes along and at the two curled parts of the love heart puts circles on to make them look like breasts. I don't know if, yeah. <laughs> Um, I do and, not remember that. And well, you I don't remember that say, one. I'll, I'll share it in the Radio Brews News please group. Please don't. But, please don't. You know, I don't need to see it. The, the, the tagline that went with that was, boobs, great on women, not so good on men. <laughs> and the last one, you know, just, just, just because, you know, we're not plumbing the depths here, this is a beer that's promoting supposedly from a company that wants to promote the brewing industry. The last one is... It poses the question, been a while since you've seen the old fella? Oh. <laughs> you know, again, you know, like. <laughs> so what you're saying is they have played the long game because their product still exists 15 years later and they've given it a red hot go in every and meantime, way the beer consumption keeps going down and they shake their heads and go, oh, well, people aren't drinking beer. Other products are more, you know, attractive. People are going to other, you know, healthful things because you f- told them that beer isn't good for you. What's the old thing that they say about doing the same thing and expecting a different result and... Yeah, that's the definition of insanity. But the, I mean, the other great one, this one's not so bad in terms of saying that beer makes you fat, but the very next campaign they had, the the, the very next campaign they had was headlined, uh, you know, it was around your man brand and saying things like crying during Oprah is very, very, very bad for your man brand. Talking about all of the unmasculine things uh, that you could do. Um, but, you know... And they wonder why beer has a perception problem. Anyway, that's Poor uh, Chakhan. Well, yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's it's done in a beer that bears, you know, one of the great ambassadors uh, for beer. Anyway, 
Uh, mind you, while, while I'm having a bit of a tanty, um, <laughs> White Claw has this, and I haven't had a chance. This is one that I've wanted to, to write about, you know, just purely an opinion piece. Betcha Paul Daly's wishing he was on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, White Claw Lemonade laid and the rise of the alcoholic soft drink. This week, White Claw, you know, famous for launching this alcoholic seltzer, um, and in America has released the alcohol-free seltzer. Um, but they've now re- re- launched a lemonade that is has uh, let's see they've got strawberry with a hint of kiwi le- limon with a hint of cal- calamansi I thought that was calamari I was going to say that's something uh, and blood orange with a hint of black raspberry so you so this is lemonade now the only reason in my view this is even called lemonade when the flavors aren't lemon flavored is because it tells you that it's a childish drink, that this is, you know, like, and and no, and look, bear me out on this. For years, um, you know, I've been told by brewers that younger consumers weaned on a diet of soft drinks and fruit juices. You know, you mentioned I was 54. When I was a kid, poppers and, you know, the fruit juices, the Tetra Pak had been invented. It was in, invented midway through my schooling years. Parents started sending their kids instead of just drinking water um, or maybe cordial, um, you know, and, and it was always limited because everyone knew that cordial had sugar in. Poppers were um, marketed as fruit juice, which is good for you. Pump full of sugar hides the acidity of, and, and so a generation since then, two generations, three generations, have grown up with gradually more sweetened palates. Brewers have been chasing that. It's led to the decline in bitterness. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was told quite openly that, well, you know, we can't hang around for younger drinkers to acquire a taste for beer. So we need to lower the bitterness in beer um, to make it easier. And, you know, you go, okay, well, at least, you know, Jim Cook um, from Boston Beer Company actually called it out in a recent article. And this is why I I want to provide links to these. He said that... The spirits industry was the first one to actually clue to the growing, and I don't think these are his words, but basically that people want sweeter, easier to drink alcohol. And, you know, the RTDs, um, and, and, and we've seen that. And, you know, with vodka cruises and things like that, if you make yourself a vodka and orange at home or a vodka and dry at home, it's going to taste very different than the one that you buy prepackaged because they have very well constructed it so you don't taste the alcohol. Hard Solo very clearly highlights that, you know, well, these things are just soft drink anyway. So we're just going to weaponize a soft drink and just be open about it. We're just going to go, fuck it. You want soft drink? We're going to just put alcohol in soft drink and then hide any of the alcohol. Um, It's a growing, it's a boom, but it's a boom that counts against beer because beer is inherently bitter. Beer is going to be harder to drink. Um, Canadian Club very effectively ran a marketing campaign that launched 10 or 11 years ago. You know, you don't like beer, um, you know, here's a drink for you. And it's a, it's it's basically sugar and water and alcohol. Um, let's not, you know, let, let's be honest about it. But they very cleverly position themselves as being different to beer. You know, blokes, it's okay these days. You don't have to drink this thing you don't like come and drink this that you actually do. And it's basically infantile, you know, baby formula of, a, of, of alcohol. But they did it very effectively. And I've been kicking around a few ideas that, you know, beer is a drink that you should step up to. It's an adult's drink. Call this alcoholic soft drink out that is chasing infantile palate. My, okay, ready for this? I'm pitching. Um, <laughs> here we go, Shark Tank. I'm waiting for the end of the rant. No, I'm no, no. I, 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 rant ended. This is my solution. Here is the category campaign for beer. Right. Go, Matt. Okay. Scene. It's a beautifully laid out dinner party room for 25, 30-year-olds. There is food on the table. There's, you know, and, and, and they're all sitting around there drinking, you know, cans labeled, you know, RTD and, you know, seltzer water and stuff like that. But they're all sitting around having party hats and blowing whistles and playing pin the tail on the donkey. And the tagline is, when you're ready to become an adult, beer. 
I don't hate it. I think you could do a guerrilla meme style campaign and maybe get some attract get some traction from the twenty year olds. I mean, you don't know how TikTok works, but I think no, you but, could but then, do but it. This, this is and and but this is the idea. If if Canadian Club has so effectively worked against us, you know, you have a bunch of blokes in suits sitting at the bar with bottles of baby formula, going, you know, you <laughs> you want sweetness? Here you go. When you're ready, when you're ready to grow up. And a beer slides across the table. Um, and uh, I was actually speaking to Paul Daly like uh, yeah. about this work, riffing on some ideas. And, uh, you know, he was sort of, you know, having a, a group of dudes trucking down the road or, you know, sort of trucking you know, <laughs> down the road with their uh, seltzers or their, you know, RTDs and, uh, you know, seeing themselves as they see themselves. But then they catch a glimpse of themselves in the shop window and it's three children, um, you know, with, with cans of soft drink. Um, and basically, th- again, tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're going to call it soft drink, let's hold it out. You're putting alcohol in it. You're targeting people with childish palates. And there's our campaign for beer. You have to step up to this product as an adult. Anyway, that's the rant over. I, I don't hate it. I think, look, I think there's... Probably people that are a little bit better at massaging this into its final format. <laughs> people who aren't angry, maybe. <laughs> Don't create angry. Is the... I think that's the most astute observation. Yeah, we'll, that we'll, you've made no on no this disrespect podcast. that, but maybe there's someone that can massage that a little bit more. But I, I think I think there is good point there. You know, beards for when you're ready to grow up. Um, but and it's it's along that line that I think us as beer producers. Yeah. We need to play beer's strength. So, again, children, you shouldn't be listening to this because this is a program about alcohol. So uh, please let mum and dad just do what that. they need to do and listen to their beer show. You go and, and drink your soft drink. Um, but beer as beer producers, we need, <laughs> we need to remember that, that... You go and listen to your seltzer We need to remember kids. that we make an adult beverage <laughs> and our beverage is what it is. Let's stop making, trying to make beef taste like pork. Let's beer be beer. Now, this doesn't mean we have to be making uh, miles from 1932. This doesn't mean to be making Pride of Ringwood lagers. There is so much we can create and do, but we need to stop trying to make our drink, our beloved drink, be something it's not. If you want to make a sweet flavoured drink that doesn't contain any of the key flavour characteristics of any of the core ingredients that's our beer, fantastic. You go do that. I'll support you, brother or sister, in your endeavour, but call it an RTD, call it a seltzer, whatever you want, but let's make beer. And let's make beer be beautiful and be all that it can be. And it can be so many things. If you're listening to this show, you know that it can be that. Let's do that and let's market it for what it is and adult drink that should be drunk responsibly by adults. Yes, hear, hear, Ian. Um, Can I just say that one of the observations, one of the phrases that I left BrewCon with about Beer Australia that I had never applied to my own thinking about what makes beer unique came again from Paul Daly, who seems to be the... um, I don't know, fourth host this week with all of the content that's coming from him for free. Um, but he he said on the Beer Australia panel, he called it beer is still for an earned thirst. And that to me, and I bring it up in this conversation in two ways. One, it has that connotation of it's an adult. It's when you're an adult, you're working, you earn the thirst. But secondly, and I don't want to trigger anyone and go backwards, part of the reason I think that Han ad in terms of the two women boxing is it still was that core uh, value of you've earned your thirst. Now, I, 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 Again, I, there was a lot to love and, about that campaign. And so I, I just sort of, I to me, that, that concept is something that I hadn't really thought through in terms of what makes beer unique prior to Paul enunciating it that way. And I've been... It's been seeding some of my thoughts now about some of the positioning that you've been talking about and that piece that says when you're ready to step up and, again, <laughs> with some delicate massaging, but that um, that that earned component of, you know, a, 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 and so I think, um, you know, that's just the other phrase that I would add to, to all of this. <laughs> yeah. But I haven't thoroughly, you know what, this is how I know I've missed, you know, I've missed 
for coming on the pod. I mean, you know, I'm here for rant week. Love it. <laughs> I think we've got a show title. <laughs> rant I, I week. will say around this and at a reminder to the listeners that this is part of what we all need to be doing. We all need to be having this conversation um, so we can look at what we can do to step beer forward and what we can do to keep beer growing and what we can do for the greater long-term plan of beer. We all need to be having these conversations. So please have these conversations amongst each other, even if your opinion is different to ours, especially if your opinion is different yeah, to exactly. ours. Yeah, have, exactly. Have them amongst each other and then let's keep those spreading through the community have them back to us. Send things into the the audio uh, voice thing. Um, speak pipe. What? Speak pipe. Thank you, Sabrina. Um, and have this. This is what we need to do in order to formulate us as an industry and what we are going to do for Beer Australia going forward. So please, let's all think about what beer is for the future. Um, I want beer to be a beverage that my children can respectfully, respectfully drink and think about respectfully in 20 years' time. And this starts with all of us now having these conversations about what we need to do, having a wonderful idea like Matt's that someone else needs to, to massage in. But, yeah, that's – there's this, this – stop, stop talking about the massaging. Just talk about what a great idea it is. We, how should we be, we be doing it? Well, well conceptually, Matt, I, th I think it is a great idea. Um, and it what makes it so great is because it does – it is what beer is and it demonstrates what all alcohol is, is it's a, it's a drink for grown-ups. Um, which is what we all need to remember. But it's, you know, and that's the thing I like about growing up. You know, all, all, and then you know, I, I'm passionate about it. But I really think that it, you know, Canadian Club very effectively undermine that. The, the 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 truth is, it's juvenile palates that are drinking a lot of these other things. It's people that just want to never grow up. They don't want their palates to go past when they were drinking. You know solo as as a child um and a lot of the pre-mixed spirits like even if you have a can of gin and tonic it tastes much sweeter than a gin and tonic that you would make yourself um, as sweet as tonic water is when you buy the tonic water it's much sweeter out of a can but it's aspirational step up to you know step up to what the grown-ups are drinking there's actually an interesting thing on that, Matt, um, and it's something that uh, one of the few things that Rocky and I argue about in, in alcohol, uh, I, I quite like, um, we, we both really love gin, um, but it's in tonics. I quite like my tonics, uh, not like the way that a lot of the modern tonics are going. I like high quinine tonic because I think yep. that that is what makes gin and tonic so great and it plays so good with gin and that bitterness that's that's in there is what makes it quenching and refreshing and without yep. that there that's what beer just makes drink a soda exactly. water with your tonic uh with with your with your with your gin bring bitterness back is you know like again because bitterness is a is, is an important component it's just one of the reasons we drink beer and that's the thing rather than run from it and hide it celebrate it and it, it, it's what it's what adults drink Aperol would tell you that bitterness is back, baby. Absolutely. Well, so would a Negroni. Can I, can I qualify that, Matt, in that it doesn't have to just be bitterness? Bitterness is a classic flavour profile of beer, but it does not have to be in all beers. What all beers have to have is something for balance, and that can come from classically from bitterness. It can also come from acidity, and it can come from roast uh, as well. They're the three easy ones, but bitterness is the most most classic of them, and a beer does not have to be I've bitter. Been yeah, I, I, I know, but I, I'm trying to mansplain it out for people here, so... <laughs> hey, speaking of speak pipe map. Yes. Yeah, we probably segue. should move on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, speak pipe. Now, if you would like to join the conversation, if you would like to tell, if, if you would like to uh, give us your thoughts about a great marketing campaign, and rather than just share it in the show notes, if you would like to read it out to us, you can do that. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, just click through to, um, it'll tell you how to get in contact. And there's a little button you press on your phone or your screen, and you just speak at us. You can record a 90 second message like this one from Glenn Brassington. Uh, hi, it's Glenn Brassington, uh, General Manager of Hawks Brewing Co. in Marrickville, Sydney. Long-time listener, first-time caller, love to um, listen to the podcast. I think it's really insightful into small brewing and business challenges that the small brewers face. Um, keen to have a conversation about 
wages, salaries, benchmarking in our industry. I fear a lot of uh, people working in the small brewing industry are uh, heavily underpaid um, and I'd love to understand just where the market is and certainly what um, the going rate is. It doesn't have to be right, but trying to benchmark um, some of the key roles and their salaries would be really interesting. Um, I asked Kylie at the IBA to um, you know, maybe launch a uh, anonymous survey to try and get a benchmark um, and I'm, and they're so under-resourced that I don't think they've gotten to it. But I think it's a really interesting topic. Well, actually, Sabrina, you have done some work on this to, to, to get and, and then we can probably discuss it as well. Yeah. yeah, so this is really, you know, hedging on this question of salary benchmarking for the beer industry. And um, I would add sort of two perspectives on this. One, I tried to do this for um, the Brewers Guild back, I think, in 2018, 2019 in New Zealand. And the process for salary benchmarking is essentially creating some standardised job descriptions for particular roles and then conducting a survey of breweries to say, hey, what are you paying for those roles? Um, and the reason I lay that out at this level of detail is because um, one of the things that is most challenging because we operate in a small business environment uh, and one of the things that became really challenging is it's really easy to salary benchmark against um, state sales representative. That's easy. Maybe packaging line operator because that's quite defined. But where it gets really tricky is um, head of production because head of production at brewery A might encompass a total different set of roles and responsibilities than at brewery B. Or head brewer might have 15 other staff including shift leads and manage the production and ops and do quality or they might just be the head brewer of a very small brewery. And so creating a position, and, and this is a bit wonky, but this is why it's so challenging, is because, um, and this is, and I'll come to sort of my IBA hat in a second, but this is why it is such a challenge for small um, business industries. Brewing is not alone because of where if that blurring of the lines are, what the entry cr- criteria are. So in beer, there's no sort of, you need to have an engineering degree. It's people have different pathways into beer and different businesses set their criteria for what constitutes a senior brewer at different places. So that's part of explaining sort of the complexity of how it works. To answer the second point raised by Glenn, what's the IBA doing? Interestingly, as part of a manager strategic projects for the IBA, um, one of the top two jobs Kylie gave me was, hey, we need to do salary benchmarking for the beer industry, Sabrina. Can I give you this project? So, um, so you know, it's been on the list of things, as, as Glenn noted, that the IBA has wanted to do for quite some time, but it is complex um, and it is potentially costly, um, including the need to take on sort of a third-party to conduct the survey on behalf of the IBA. And the reason you would go to an expert survey um, team is to manage any perception that any um, data that comes in as part of the survey is seen by sort of seen or not shared and not remain confidential. So, you know, there's concerns around what businesses are willing to share, but certainly it's something that the IBA slash me on behalf of the IBA is currently running with. Um, There's a people and culture group um, committee for the IBA that are going to be kind of overseeing and driving and having a look at what actually needs to take place there. So, Glenn, yes, super difficult issue, um, absolutely needs to happen. Um, The scope of what happens for the IBA, you know, um, and what needs to happen there is starting the discussion now. So that's sort of everything that I can add to it. Um, And certainly, you know, we hear a lot about people leaving the industry for underpayment. The Beer Agents for Change survey last year identified that as well as um, a reason people leave the beer industry is underpayment. Um, 
uh, or, or a perception of underpayment um, and also challenges with, with people leaving thinking they're going to get better pay elsewhere and it's not quite the case. So I think it is an issue that needs to be tackled. Absolutely, it is. This is one that I'm very passionate about and one I, I would suggest, Sabrina, to the IBA that as well as consulting business owners, they consult um, individual employees on it because our perceptions of what our roles are could be different to what the business owners are. And that is not to be a slight on business owners. It's just, you know, you take uh, two sides to it and you'll actually find that there's three sides to to every, every story, depending on how people perceive things. Um, there is terribly underpaid um, in our industry. Um, and from a business's point of view, you don't want to be paying your staff any more really than you need to unfortunately, because everyone wants to survive. However, I would also put forth the point that in order to be able to survive, you want to have good retention of your staff. One of the things that we're having problems with in our industries, um, so look, as, as an example, um, I have had approaches from the beverage industry outside of beer for pay rises that are quite significant over what I'm earning. Um, unfortunately, though, I love beer too much to be able to take it as seriously as I have looked at it, and I'm sure this is something that, that others have had. We have the situation, too, where we're not rewarding the experience of um, our brewers and not even talking about people moving into head brewer role or senior positions, but just our general brewers. Um, and we have people that are highly skilled, um, you know, master's degrees from some of the um, the greatest brewing schools in the world and are getting paid essentially the same as what someone who has got a certificate three and one or two years experience is worth. These are people that don't necessarily want to or feel that they in their career should be moving up the, the line, just want to be awesome brewers and aren't necessarily being rewarded for that. And then what happens is people say, well, we don't want to reward them. Well, why, if it's just a general line position, why don't we get someone who is a lot less experienced and we can pay them a lot less? And well, the problem is in the results. We have that experience in this person. We need to value them because they're going to make less mistakes. Everyone makes a mistake, but they're going to make less mistakes. The quality of work that we're going to get from them is 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 more. There is people. There, there is a lot of wage in this industry that's stagnated for for over a decade. The general uh, brewer's position now, the rate of pay that he gets, is what I was getting as a brewer 12, 13 years ago, and that's that's not acceptable. Mm. And it's also you know to to link it to other things. I was chatting to um, some recent graduates of the um, Cert 3, I guess it is, in in Queensland who were members of Pink Boots. And we were talking about why aren't more women attracted to the beer industry? And they've sort of said um, there is a perception that if you have to work as hard as you have to in this industry in terms of physical, why wouldn't you go do something where you can be paid more, right? But why wouldn't you, right? They make so a from, point. Yeah, so if you're looking to, you know, Matt, you've made the point many a times, you, you, we have traded off goodwill and passion and Passion, we, we mine passion. We've mined passion. But if you want to attract a broad range of people to the industry, if they're looking at it and saying, I don't think there's a sustainable career path here for me, including because... Um, you know, there's no, there, there aren't salaries that are that are sustainable, you know, as I build a life, then that is a reason that people won't even join the industry in the first place. And so I think the issues identified here from Glenn are real. I also think your point, Ian, about being poached from other industries, certainly on the business development roles, you know, beer just doesn't have it. And then I come back to, um, you know, so we do pay everybody what we think everybody is worth. We can't make a cart and a beer for what people are willing to pay for it. Which is also why we need to lock in value for the product that we make. We need to give it a, a, a worth. Anyway. Absolutely, Matt. Absolutely. And what we have to see then is too, and this is a broader look at the whole sustainability of the industry, is why should we underpay people um, into their roles, skilled people, just so that we can sell a carton of beer for what people are wanting to pay for it. Does that tell us that that's not a sustainable business? That you, you know, Because it's then not sustainable. You do pay for people at low wage. It's not sustainable because they're not going to hang around. People are going to burn out. We're not going to get anyone else to, to replace them of a quality standard. 
But these are some of the ugly truths that we need to be talking about in, in the industry because, you know, again, are we? is it like car manufacturing where you can't be, and again, going back to the filter conversation, you know, are there structural problems in the industry that we need to talk about and we can't pay people fairly and have sustainable businesses making the product that we do? Because if we're not talking about this, there are going to be more and more entrants putting more downward pressure on the industry which isn't good for anybody. And I think this is so. You know, Glenn finishes his um his, his finished his comment with. I think it's a really interesting topic. I think it is an inter- <laughs> <laughs> I think it is an interesting topic. But I also think you know his point around data gathering, and you know we've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. But I I just talk about it even in this specific uh, context. Until we gather the data, we actually don't know the size of the problem or where the specific problems yep. lie. So is it in again, you know, to find targeted solutions, is it just in um, junior brewer roles? And I'm making this up completely. Is it just in national sales roles? Or is it systemic, you know, short by 20% as compared to the broader market everywhere? And until we have that data um, and we've gathered that data in a meaningful and robust way that we can make genuine, uh, meaningful comparisons, then you sort of we all sort of have feelings about it and thoughts about it and and sort of qualitative discussions about it. But to get that quantitative information in will help, I think, inform, well, now what? Now what do we do? What is the size of the problem? What happens next? And so I think it is going to be really important. So um, watch this space. Uh, hopefully we can afford the IBA has the resources necessary to kind of move this along, but it is you know, as I mentioned at the outset, quite a complex beast and not just sort of a um, here. And quite frankly, it's going to take all of the IBA's members to be willing to take the time to participate in the survey to provide the data to then feed back to its members. And so, again, you know, it's a it's a whole of industry response required, even if the IBA kind of leads the way on, on facilitating it. And this is what 90 seconds of sp- Big Pipe can create. You can find a link in the show notes, but it's also this sort of great discussion that our sponsors of the mailbag has created. And we thank beer fans for sponsoring our mailbag and being sponsors of Speak Pipe uh, because beer fans creates new fans for your brand and great conversations on Brews News Week. But back to them. Beer fans, can, you can start selling outside of the same pool of consumers, increase the size, your size of the pie. It's free to feature your beer and merch on the website. And suddenly I'm thinking, I want some uh, beer fan shirts that say step up to beer um, and, and merch on the website. With beer fans being rewarded only once a new fan is secured for your brand. I would like to see them be rewarded for lots of new beer fans. If you want to put your brand in front of more beer fans, reach out to the team via email at join at beerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes to start your second seven-minute onboarding process. Thank you very much to beer fans. Now, we also do have a brewery of the week, um, but I'm actually going to park that. I'm gonna. We're going to sort of do a. Uh, no, I, I probably. Did they still do to be continued on television shows? Once upon a time, when they wanted a cliffhanger episode, they would say to be continued, and you had to find out whether Fonzie had survived the jump over the shark. So I'm just going to say, Brew of the Week. <laughs> you sound so old. Do they I am still old. do this on well, television? <laughs> but I still come up with good ideas. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say our brewery of the week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one liter to 100 liters at greater than two billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly, or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek, our very, very understanding. Derek will understand why we've parked this for a great discussion next week. But you can call Derek and discuss whether he's happy or not and yeast on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And the reason I want to park it is because Sabrina's come up with a great brewery of the week, and it's one that I'm going to get to go to in a couple of weeks' time, but it raises some really good questions in amongst the the thing, and I, I don't want to cut that discussion short, given that we've already gone over with some good quality rants this week. So uh, thanking uh, Bluestone Yeast, bearing their forgiveness, even though they get the ad, we're going to keep you in suspense to see what that is. And uh, on that note, 
Great to have you back, Sabrina. Thank you very much for all the contributions. Great to be back. And Ian, thank you as well. Thanks for, for being back. Uh, thank you, Matt. And just a reminder, reiterate what I was saying before. Please keep having these discussions out there and use the voice pipe to let us know so we can we can keep help helping to facilitate that and promoting that out through our wonderful beer community. And we do want to hear what you say. We we feel a little bit like a wisp, but you know, it's a three-way conversation here, but we know that a lot of people are listening. Some of you are shouting at your um, car stereos um, or just sort of still running uh, down the street, talking to yourselves and shouting to yourself like a crazy person when you're really shouting at me. Um, so please join the conversation and uh, we'll look forward to reading some of those out, com- the comments or playing the speak pipes next week. That wraps up another week of news and very animated discussion and some good quality rants. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by the long-suffering and very patient Joe Helder. We thank Cryer Malt, Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Beer Fans for their support in making this episode possible. We'll be back next week with another Beer is a Conversation and some more discussion of all of the news of the week. See you then. 